In today's first reading, God speaks to the Israelites and presents the Ten Commandments to them. The first reading is from Exodus, the 20th chapter. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of, e- out of, the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make your, for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so this last week we were given the assignment of Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and the Gospel verse. And in the Old Testament lesson, the Ten Commandments. Thinking, oh my goodness, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? The reason why I was nervous is because when I looked at this list... Maybe I lacked some of the courage of Jesus in the temple, just going around cracking whips and getting stuff corrected. But when I looked at this this list, I'm thinking everything on this list, the world from the time it was given till now, especially now, is seemingly at opposition with this list. Let's read this list together again. I am the Lord your God. You shall not have only gods. Do not make wrongful use of the Lord's name. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's belongings. Just about any one of those, let's keep it on that Ten Commandments bound. Just about any one of those commandments 
you could probably cite examples in our world right now where the world is in direct opposition. Either directly saying it doesn't apply to me or by slight adjustment, well, it doesn't apply entirely the way it says to me. Either by direct opposition or compromise, it's been our world is against those commandments in our life. Each one of those. Then I was thinking, let's go to the next one. This here, the John 2, 15. So this is what Jesus said. Let's read these words together. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a market. Jesus knew that the response to his cleansing of the temple would be not much different than me confronting our world directly about their opposition to the Ten Commandments. If I was to be anywhere in the public media standing for the Ten Commandments, the world would pounce with ferocity. Jesus in the temple, he knew their response. He knew their response to his call to God's holiness. He knew that these were basically just little kids who are now grown up bodies. A lot of times when I look at myself and I look at adults, that's just what we are, just little kids. I try to imagine what each one of you might look like when you're about four or five years old and when you pouted when you didn't get your way, when you threw a little temper tantrum because you had to follow the parents' rules, not your own rules. And now the only difference is, is time. Now you've grown up, you've got more muscles, more money, more power, a louder voice, more intimidation, and you can fight back more strongly. But the code still stands. Even to powerful little kids. And to those powerful little kids, Jesus stood. And he said, he, he said what was going on was wrong. And he, and, he, and, he, and he cleansed it out. At great peril. Because just a few days later, he died on a Roman cross. So this whole thing, this, this opposition to the Ten Commandments, and now adults having power and authority to confront the speaker of those commandments in God's law, how does that work in the world? And, and I thought of a, there's a story that was told. Let's go to this next side of the grass. Here we go. A veteran man who served in the United States Army in Vietnam, he retold the story of the day that he was flying on his 707 as a passenger and he was landing into this country, Vietnam. He wrote, I noticed off the end of the runway as we were coming approaching the city or this our camp from the high levels, when we approached it, there were like a thousand three foot in diameter things. Didn't know whether they were pits or whether they were bubbles, whatever it was, there's circles, a thousand of them at the end of the runway. And I thought for sure that had to have been by shelling, had to have been by mortars or maybe mines exploding. Something was going on. It looked like the earth had smallpox, thousand craters. I asked the NCO who was sitting next to me, I said, sir, what are those? Is that a minefield? Is that evidence of the war and, and explosions? He said, no, they're graves. The Vietnamese Buddhist, he said, he said they bury their dead sitting in the upright lotus position. Their graves are round. Shortly after that, I heard the mechanical, mechanical scrapes of like the landing gear coming out and being deployed. And I looked down um, upon what was going to be my new home for this time. And he said, the NCO pointed out to the left, he said, there, that's your minefield. It was not what I expected. What I looked 
at looked like a beautiful soccer field from that height. All around our compound and all around our, our garrison, our place, was, was the flattest and most verdant green field I'd ever seen. There were green and flat, almost like the top of a billiard table. The moist greenness from that altitude begged that you would take your shoes off and just walk and massage your toes in the sand that you would want to be playing on that, kicking balls on that, maybe mark it out and play a game of football or soccer on it. The only problem was, was that they were deadly fields. Those inviting fields, they were the kill zone for the garrison in the middle. Shortly after I was there, when I arrived that afternoon, I saw a group of kids that were playing near the little village off to the side. They were playing soccer ball, kickball of some sorts with a ball. A moment passed, we weren't paying that much attention, then all of a sudden we looked up again and we were horrified to see that they were in the middle of our kill zone, playing soccer. The MPs who were supposed to be watching over this field started yelling at him, kids, you need to go away. They're raising their arms. They're like from across the field shouting at him, you got to go. It's dangerous. They're, they're telling them all these things. But the problem was is that those kids didn't understand English. It would have been funny watching them carry on had it not been so dangerous. One sweating MP quickly went to get the map of this minefield that would give the directions of a path that they could get through this minefield. And he and he gathered his squad and they immediately made a careful and direct route best they could to get to those kids. And when they got to these kids, they grabbed them up, screaming and hollering in their arms, but they grabbed them up. And these kids were like terrified. These, these strangers from a foreign land wearing these, these uniforms that they wear with guns in their hands, they just swept us up in their arms. And we, their kids are screaming as these soldiers begin now to retrace their exact route back to their post. A moment later, the parents, the mothers are there because they heard their kids scream and it wasn't the playful kind of scream. It was a different kind of scream. And they look up and they see their children in the arms of those big American GIs and they were carrying them away. The mother started running. Another band of MPs met them at the edge. Those mothers were physically held back by those MPs. I could only wonder at the terror of the children and their mothers who were crying out in anguish. I'm sure that those mothers believed that their children were about to be imprisoned because that happened a lot in those days. Or their children were going to be killed because that happened a lot then too. Actually, exactly the opposite was happening. Those parents didn't realize that the MP's prohibition was infinitely more merciful than a thoughtless permission would have been. That night, as I lay sweating in my cot trying to sleep, I wondered what would have happened if in the name of a shallow and indulgent love, the MPs had listened to the cries of those children. I tried to imagine the MP saying to the children, oh, I'm sorry, we really didn't mean to inconvenience your game of, of ball, whatever you were playing. Go ahead, finish your game in the middle of the minefield. And to the parents, to the mothers, go ahead, moms, it's okay. Run out there and try to get your children and then try coming back, holding them in your arms. Go ahead, what would have happened? 
Would it have been loving for the MPs to relax the rules against playing in the minefield? As I lay awake on my cot, listening to explosions and war going on in the distance, I could not help wonder if the God of the Ten Commandments is less interested in spoiling his children's fun than he is in saving their lives while they walk in this world of landmines. Next slide. My friends, we live in, we live in a dangerous world. Landmines, if you will. God knows this. And in His love, He has given us His law. As harder and as unwanted as that law might be, it seems at times, holding to that law and keeping to that law is what keeps us safe. It's what keeps us close to our Father and the safety of our Father. Some in, in the world and some of the world would say, of course, that, that God's love is superior to the law. They say that love is more important than the law. Well, we could say they're most certainly correct. Love does not come from the law. The law is given because of love. Law comes from love. That said, there's nothing in the life of Jesus Christ or in His message that makes the law of God less relevant to us than it was to the people who first heard it, those people in Israel. If anyone, if anyone, regardless of their title, regardless of their rank, regardless of the size of their economy, the attractiveness, their charismatic, regardless of who it is, if anyone suggests or teaches a way of life that is not what God's Word and God's law teaches, they're actually not loving. They're not being honest and they are not loving. Worse than that, they're putting their people's lives in danger who listens to them. Comfortable or easy or not, a correction to God's path needs to be applied, whether the children understand it or not. Whether the children understand it or not. Next slide. Again, in making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with their sheep and their oxen. He turned over the money court, uh, tables. The money changers, he overturned their tables. He told those who sold the pigeons, take them away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Friends, the temple, the temple was for the people and for God a holy place. It was a place where the ark, the ark is basically another word of saying a container. Like there's a, Noah had an ark, he was in this container, and he put all this life in there, and it floated and it survived. In this, there was an ark that contained the, the covenant, the ark of the covenant. The covenant was those Ten Commandments on the stones. That is what was contained in that ark. And that was so holy, it was kept in a place behind a curtain. It was a holy place. It was a place where only the priests would go behind that curtain and ask for forgiveness for the people once a year on that Day of Atonement. In that holiness, there was a story in the Old Testament where the ark was going to fall and a guy tried to keep it from falling and he touched it and he was told not to and he died. That was so holy. Anything unholy does not go near it. That's why they sheltered it. 
And that holy place was in that temple. Even today, we have echoes of a temple in every church, at least the historic churches. In the historic churches, we just don't wear suits and ties or casual clothes with flip-flops. We wear robes on Sunday. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing underneath necessarily. I could have flip-flops and cargo shorts. What matters is the robe because we remember that at the end of the story that Jesus gives us white robes washed in the Lamb's blood. And in that place, we're able to be in this place, in, in the presence of God. And on Sundays, your pastors and your people who are up here, we wear robes because we consider this holy place even now. For us, this is a holy place. This is where God's word is spoken. This is where the sacrament of baptism, the sacraments are presented and prepared for us. It's just not a cute little remembrance that we can walk around and play around. This is a holy place unto the Lord. And this sanctuary is a holy place. We don't do things in here that we might do out there. And here we pray and we praise God and we hear his word and we learn. That's what that temple was about. It was a place where the word of God was to be read and it was to be taught. That temple that Jesus was in was a place where the people of God were to offer their gifts. We do that same thing even today. If you think about it, when we gather here, we collect our tithes and offerings. It's the same thing as the people who might have traveled at that point a thousand miles. On this Passover event, the city went from about 80,000 to 100,000 people, hundreds of thousands more, upwards of a million, some would have speculated, or more. On this Passover event, and they all came bearing gifts because they wanted to approach the holy place of God and say, God, thank you for your love. Thank you for blessing me. In spite of all the hardships I face, your greatness is bigger. Your love is bigger. And they would offer their gifts saying, Lord, I thank you and I dedicate my life to you. Yes, I don't have much, but what I have, I've put it in here and I offer it to you. That's what we do on Sundays. My life and the fruit of my life, Lord, I offer again to you. We do that every Sunday. And we just don't leave it out there. We put it in the holy place. It's all connected. It's all connected. It's it's really kind of cool. At least I think it's kind of cool. And to where this place is where they came to worship, that holy place it had become a market. Goats, cattle, pigeons, bankers exchanging money, trying to make the most they could. It wasn't driven by holiness codes. It was driven by greed. It was big business. 80% of their economy in Jerusalem was derived off of tourists coming back for holy things. It was about profit. And to that world that was supposed to be holy, that has now been corrupted and changed in the name of greed, Jesus says no. The Son of God says no. They can kick, you can scream, you don't have to like a single word I say, but I'm telling you the truth, get out of here. Take the animals with you. You can complain and you can resist all you want. I've got a whip, here's your motivation, leave. He overturns the tables. And I can imagine these people, I mean, people are always, if I drop a thousand one hundred dollar bills in a place, people are going to go nuts trying to sweep them up. And when he knocks over the tables, I imagine these people clinging onto money in God's temple, just trying to gather them all. Get out of here. Take the money with you. This is a place for holy places for your Lord. None of their things mattered. Jesus corrected it. What needed to be done, because Jesus loves was done. The people of God heard it and it was cleansed. The temple of God, the holy place, cleansed. The people within it being restored. 
God's plan was for a holy place, a healthy place, a heavenly way. And on that day it took place. That was the work of Jesus then. It's the work of the people of God even today because Jesus works through us. With love, we adhere to and we live by God's law. We recognize that God loves. God's perfect in love and God's perfect in his knowledge and he wants what's absolutely best for us. And if he commands it, it's what's best for us. We don't have to like it or understand it. It's what's best for us. He's God, we're not. We obey. We obey because he loves and we love back. How can you say you love somebody and do something that directly hurts you or wrecks your relationship? You can't. And so because we love our Lord, we adhere to his law, period. With love, we correct each other and we teach each other. We lead according to God's law. My place, but it's your place as parents and grandparents and people in this world. If you love somebody and you let them walk through a minefield, shame on you. If you love somebody, you let them cry. You love a child and you just let them play in the street, a busy street, 265, shame on you. That's not love. If we have people that we know and we love, they're doing things contrary to what God would have for them, shame on us. That's not love. God calls us to love. We listen to God first and we listen to complaining children second. We look to the Son of God first and upon the resistance of the world second. And in this, it comes back to what we are as a church. We gather in this place and we know God. We know Jesus. We know everything about Him. His words, His truth, His, His love. And then from there, we grow. Every week, we huddle and we remember. Every week, we grow older and more experienced. And every week, we continue to grow in our faith. We grow in our Lord. And the last thing we do is we make Him known. We tell people about the love of God and the commands of God because we love. We make Jesus known. God wants to restore every temple in this world to do those things. Before we say amen, we're going to say a prayer, so let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us home. Thank you for giving us your word again. Thank you for loving us enough that you would show us the way of heaven. Lord, give us clean hearts that we can hear your way and not throw a temper tantrum and run away. Lord, give us clean hands that we can participate in your, your heaven and your church on earth. And Lord, help us clean up your house. Whether I'm, where I'm in error, where the people are error, Lord, each one of us uniquely, where we are fouled or dirty, Lord, clean us up. Keep our eyes and our ears and our hearts focused on you, Lord. Let us have the fullness of life and the fullness of love that your loving commands can offer. Thank you for hearing our prayers. And God, help us be your church. Amen. We'll continue our worship with a song. <clears throat>